What's up, world? It's your boy, the Bearded Brother. What's up, world? It's your boy, the Bearded Brother, and I'm back with another episode of the Bearded Tastings, and I am sitting with uh, a good friend of mine. Uh, she's a therapist by day, but she's got about nine million other things. Um, I'm beginning to think, like on Martin, she's like Tommy, and she ain't got no job, but she just does so much, but it's all beautiful stuff for the Black community. Um, especially with like mental health and things like that, but I'm gonna let her, uh, talk, talk about that a little bit, but yeah, tell the people who you are and what you do. All right. So, Hey everybody, my name is Shamika Tumplin. You can find me on the socials at positively meek, which is how most people know me. Um, so yeah, it's exactly what my guy has stated. <laughs> so, um, actually by day I work for a national maternal child health organization by night. I'm a marriage and family therapist. And what they say, moonlighting, I guess if, if we had to have a moonlighting career, uh, I'm a doula. I'm a, uh, people call me an influencer. I don't know how I really feel about that. I'm definitely an educator though. Um, also, uh, teacher, life coach. So I'm, I'm really all about, I'm all about business with fun. So I'm a person that like, um, I've always wanted to be the plug for the community, like the mental health plug. So it's like, I got resources. I know people and I'm all about sharing those resources and sharing that knowledge. Um, and also, you know, I'm a firm believer in what you see is what you get. So no matter what you roll up on me yet, I'm the same Shamika at all times. Uh, so that's, that's, that's me. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And then like, what was that um, moment of like, you wanted to be like, oh, I want to be in therapy or work on mental health. What was that moment for you? Like that, that click moment. Man. So it had to be while I was in grad school for my first master's degree. Um, I went to Mahir Medical College and got a master's of science in public health. And during okay. that time, I worked nights at a um, domestic violence shelter and just seeing the impact that violence has on you know, like all communities, but also understanding the mental health side of that, like what impacts a person um, to, you know, stay in a relationship? What impacts a person's decision making to leave a relationship? And what does it look like for their support and other things? So I, um, before even finishing that first master's, had already applied to Trevecca and got my acceptance letter that I was going to be going into marriage and family specifically. And then I realized with that moment or that epiphany, how this even played back into what I thought I wanted to do from the beginning and thinking that I wanted to be a doctor or even a, a scientist or a researcher around um, understanding basically the things that impact the black community. And then I I understood like, oh, I've actually been looking at mental health this whole time because when I'm looking at, you know, average childhood experiences or looking at what impacts a family and people being able to stay together, a lot of that is what they've learned. And I mean, you know, we look at sociology courses um, and sociology being like the interaction of people and behaviors together. But a lot of that also plays into the psychology portion because how I think is how I act. What I think is what I say. So even taking it all the way back, it was like, wow. So the beginning of all that I've loved has always been psych and I never knew it. Oh, that's awesome. I always love learning people's story in that, like that moment. And it's just like, especially when it goes back to the very beginning, you're like, yeah. oh, I've been doing this since I was six. Like, so I picked my career out when I was in kindergarten and Did he didn't it? realize it until like those like aha checkpoints in your life, whether that's in your teens, twenties, thirties, forties, you can always have those aha moments and then get into where you're supposed to be the whole time. Yep. And um, I do want to talk about your persona positively meet. Mm -hmm. So I, um, it was interesting that you were like, I don't know how I feel about being an influencer um, and I want to talk about social media and how that affects 
positively sometimes and even negatively yeah. mental health and how do you use it to further amplify amplify your voice of being a mental health advocate in the black community wow okay so literally when we met at that very first blog exchange event yes i i was there because i was like i want to know how to kind of be a journalist like i have this you know public health background i'm going into therapy and i want to be able to share my journey with people um and from a, a space of healing, but also like sharing what I've learned and how can other people use it to basically amplify their own journey, amplify their own voices. Uh, and I guess even what birth positive unique was coming out of a relationship and being at that point in life where it's like, who am I? Um, and not some like I lost myself and I had to go find myself, but this aspect of understanding I was at a point where I needed to love myself and we always gotcha. talk about like loving yourself, but y'all, e even at the point where I'm at now, it's like, that's hard. Like what, what goes into loving oneself and then also understanding what impacts the love I have for me and it's other people. So then it's like, you tell me I need self love, but I also have to depend right. on the people around me to show healthy love in order to be able to like do that. Right. Um, so to say, being in that room, it was a lot of people who want to be influencers. And I was not seeing myself as that person. People had businesses. I didn't have a business at the time. So I was just like, ah, they pitch it to brands. How you pitch mental health to a brand? I don't know. So like the conversations that were <laughs> happening, I'm getting notes that were preparing me for where I am now. And I didn't realize it because I didn't see my journey as such. It was just kind of, I still haven't seen it, y'all, so don't judge me when you hear this. But kind of like Sex in the City, but more so Moesha, like the you know, when she's sitting Dear Journal, like I, I Dear Diary. Yeah. I was thinking more that like some Dear Diary phases was going on in my head. Or Macy, if you all, all remember that uh, 90s cartoon, like me, yes. like narrating myself, telling my story. Like I love narratives. I love, um, is it Oriation? Like where people are talking, mm -hmm. and you, I love that. I love that. I love a movie that does it. I love a show, and so that's always been my passion um, to be someone who can share stories, whether they be my own or others, and that learning in that. So that's what got me there. Well, being there and telling people what I was doing, it was like, oh, yeah, you need to go ahead and put that on IG, or you need to go ahead and start a web page. You need to be on Twitter, like. This is stuff people need to know. And then also, here's how you can amplify not only your voice, but others' voice and get paid for it. We're still working on it getting paid for it, I'm being honest. Like, because it's, it's honesty, right? Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's a growing thing. Um, and it's also hard to, like, how do I charge people for knowledge I really want people to know? Because then we get into right. access and equity and all that good stuff. So that is one of the reasons why when I stated that I kind of am conflictual with being known as an influencer is because... People associate numbers and following with influence. And for me, the numbers are, are amazing. If you look at my IG, I follow more people than follow me because I'm, if I follow you, I'm not one going to unfollow you unless you're doing something real crazy. But also my timeline is full of enough positivity and support that for those people who clearly, I, it was one of those, like you follow me, so I'm going to follow you back. I can like give you some encouragement or just keep strolling. But those act, those profiles you're seeing me very interact with are the ones that are feeding me. They're the ones that I'm getting joy from. They're the ones that I'm learning. Um, and then also, I know that being in a place of comparing yourself steals joy. So also with influence, it's always that game of what's next? Who's going to subscribe to this? And it's like, mm -hmm. well, are we? Are you catering what you do to the people? Or are you catering it to get the next amount of money? Not saying that's bad, but saying I also don't want to be in that place because for me, it's a conversation of moral and ethics and my own code. And I really want to be a person. Love is the forefront. And when people talk to me, it's, it's transparent and as vulnerable as possible. And there are just certain things about me that I don't want to have to compromise for anybody. <laughs> Right. So to get brand deals and other things sounds amazing, but the lens from which I'm looking for is does this align with who I am? Because your money sounds amazing, but am I going to be who I am with that money? Um, so I, yeah, I'm not, I, I still don't see myself as an influence because I, like I said, once again, I'm not getting paid. The brands that you may see reposting me or talking about me are ones 
in the fertility field, one's in public health, one's talking about diversity and equity. So it's not like, you know, shoes or, uh, you know, something like that. And I know that probably goes into a whole conversation of we got to change how we how we view influence and what's an influencer, because it is core as a person who has influence. And I do believe I have influence and I'm still learning, you know, how mm-hmm. I'm using that influence. So it's not that for anybody to hurt. It's not that I don't like influencers. It's just I think the way I approach my work or what I will tell you about who I am is not from the same place as someone who was saying I want to be an influencer and this is who I am 24 hours a day. Right. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Just like trying to be in that space because I I definitely didn't come there as an influencer. I was a whole I had a whole little business myself and just trying to learn how to interact in that space. But it definitely like everything you said from just like giving you those mental notes and understanding. It was like almost like that wave of realization. You're like, oh, I don't want to be in this realm. Mm-hmm. But also, I understand if I get put there mm-hmm. just because of what society has placed upon that word and that image of an influencer when it comes to social media yeah even when i do my um beer stuff like i don't i feel like i'm more of a resource and or educator of beer than an influencer yes um but i know that's what the buzzword is right now is influencer so i was like i don't Basically, it's like you're playing the game. You're like, you don't really enjoy the game, but you know you got to play it. So you're like, okay, let me figure out the rules. Let me yeah. see how I can participate. And still even like kind of carve out your own role and niche a little bit. Um, but um, speaking of beer, I do have a beer podcast. So it'll be just kind of wrong for me not to be sipping on something. Um, so I... Gonna break out this Blau Weiss beer. It's a uh, German beer. Um, a lot of German words on it. I'm not good with pronunciation, so I'm not even gonna try to embarrass myself. Because um, I was really self conscious just saying Blau Weiss, so I'm just gonna leave it there. I know my strengths. Gotcha. Um, I read well enough, all right? I read well enough to get through life. So I'm confident in that, and I'm happy with where I am on my reading level. But um, this is a. Uh, White beer, which just means white beer in German. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be super light, easy to drink. It's going to have a little like acidic taste to it. Orange. Um, it's going to be a little citrusy, which um, is no no problem. But that's the color right there. And what you want, I always talk about pairing food with thing uh, with beer. And you eat this with like a lot of more like food with a lot of spices in it. So like Indian food, Thai food, Chinese food. And things like that. You can still get mild, but it's more talking about like the spice of like turmeric, or it pairs really well with that, and it's easy on your palate, and it just makes it an enjoyable meal. And talking about with um, beer and enjoying things and um, mental health, like is there a space for um, alcohol and or like using like weed as something to um, help with mental health? Is there, like, do you feel like there's a connection or more of a disconnection when it comes to that? It's just like a person. So I think there's a space uh, for everything and there are professionals for everything. So I'm pretty sure there's a professional out there who talks about how mental health and, you know, you know, medicinal use of anything goes together. That's not really my realm, but I do always tell people everything in moderation. So the way you just even introduced us to that beer was not about, you know, getting buzzed or getting hyper running away from your emotions. It was like, oh, there's a way for us to sit and enjoy this over dinner. Now if you're a recovering alcoholic, you know, if you ate any of that none whatsoever. But if you're somebody who's like, you know, especially in a lot of businesses, people are in environments where there's alcohol, whether it be wine or something else. Um I know I go to a couple of or before the pandemic, there was a business group that I was with that there was open bar everything. <laughs> and it was like to the point like I'm holding something in my hand, but I may not be drinking it. And even if I try something, it was like everybody being like, hey, Shamika, we know you don't really drink, but maybe so much in social settings, but you still don't know anything about alcohol. So let me show you, you pair this with this. We're going to give you about this much. And then you just sip it as you walk around. But mm-hmm. also I'm sipping way more water than I'm sipping that. But it's, it's balance. And to say also 
I think this is more so speaking to my story maybe than someone out there. But also, if you fear something, you'll never do it because of your fear of the, like, the outcome of it. Um, and I think for me, my journey into alcohol, that's kind of how it started. It was like a, you know, ooh, I have, my family has these, um, a history of addiction. So I don't want to even try alcohol because what's going to happen? I was 23 before I had my first sip. And it was like really big deal because and it was a sip of wine, which I know now wine is not my drink of choice. It's just going to put me to sleep. But uh, it was just, Fair that, enough. <laughs> it was just that whole like, oh my God, I don't want to try this. Like, what if I become alcoholic? And it's like, oh, one sip, Shamika. Um, but to say going in with caution also helped me set boundaries in knowing how, like when I would drink, how I'm going to drink and how much. Uh, and just to add into that, I love the fact that, once again, you're talking about pairing it with food because we know that also helps with the absorption of alcohol in the body and how your body's going to react to it. So to go back to your question, um, we know that there's, you know, medical uses for marijuana. I don't know any medical, medical uses, though, for alcohol, just to be honest. Uh, but to say um, everything in moderation and I'm alcohol is one of those things people say, oh, well, it helps open you up to emotions and other things. But also, if you need to use that to open up to your emotions, then there may be a bigger problem there. Because when we're talking about mental health and talking to a professional, especially, um, I want you to be at a place where you're doing that on your own and not under the inhibition of anything else. I hope that was a great, like a... No, uh, that was that was perfect. That was uh, definitely interesting because I honestly didn't know where that was going to go. I didn't know if that was your realm, but I did want to ask that because I always think about that. Um, and cause you always hear that conversation all the time. It's like, Oh, it relieves my anxiety. And it does this. Cause like I'm, uh, as well, I partake in beer. I do smoke weed regularly. Um, uh, re uh pretty recreationally right now, but I definitely do think about it as like, cause I, the pandemic opened it up for me where I learned I suffer from, anxiety and I didn't realize it until I had a really terrible anxiety attack at the beginning of the pandemic because I was working at Whole Foods so mm -hmm. I'm in front of people and when we all know when the panorama broke out it was news everywhere like yeah. every five minutes you're getting oh if you talk to Positively Meek for 15 minutes you're gonna get it oh but if you do talk to her you can like it was just always mm -hmm. contradicting things and so like and people are saying things, employees, coworkers, family are all saying these different things. And then it got to a point where it's just literally like a balloon that like just couldn't it pop, like blow up anymore and just exploded one day. And then yeah. like, I talked to my mom about it. She's like, you know, your dad had anxiety. Mm. And then it started like it kind of just started um, the thought process for me where it was like, Okay, where I felt anxiety and I like looked up anxiety and things, how it can manifest and a lot of it's pretty much the same, but also like people have different reactions to it. And I like started to notice like when I do feel the onset coming, my hands get really fidgety. Mm -hmm. Like they'll start to itch on the palms or like I'm always like shaking my hands and stuff and just trying to like shake whatever's off and I can't. And so I do it a lot until I feel like I have and just kind of learning that. And I do wonder if like, if I knew more about weed, could it be more helpful than just like a recreational thing? Like I get off work, I'm like, ooh, what a day. And just kind of, it's just one of those edge killers kind of thing. Um, I do love that you led with education because I feel like education is how we stop from overindulging in something. Um, mm -hmm. Education is also how we understand if this is something for us. And I say that because weed is legal in some states, once again, for medical or recreational use. And also, we know the impacts of marijuana in use in, on our communities when it comes to police and racism. So also, it being one of those subjects where when you're educated in it, you may learn some things that you never knew, which may take you into being a connoisseur of sorts, um, but also a place where you you maybe become more responsible with this usage. And I'm saying that, widely because one of the organizations I'm a part of, of uh, Shout out to Forbes the Culture. There are so many literal like people who own dispensaries and like are talking about like where that is going as a business and the amount of investing and other things that are happening on that front. Um, 
once again, getting back to weed and mental health, however, like you're talking about anxiety and how you use it to calm that from a professional standpoint, that wouldn't be something that I would offer because I don't, I don't talk about medication. So that would be something that you'd have to talk about with somebody who does medication, like your psychiatrist or um, depending on what state you're in. I don't know how states function that that's legal. So they may actually have people who legit you just talk to. Um, But to say from the standpoint where I am now, like if I was seeing someone, I would ask them not to be under the influence of weed or um, alcohol. And it's just because how are you going to talk to me about your symptoms if you're taking something to numb them so you don't feel them. So also that, am I helping you work through your emotions if we're never actually walking through your emotions because you're stopping them from fully um, manifesting? Gotcha, gotcha. And I do want to talk about, like, um, you talking to clients and things like that and tied into education. Do you prefer someone just be like, I don't know, what's going on? Help. Or do you want someone who's like, hey, I've been struggling with this. And this is what I've learned. This is what I've read. And kind of going from there. Like, I, I know you probably are like, oh, either one's great. But, like, I know one's – it's always the option where you're like, this one's a little bit easier to work with than this one. But I do both. Okay. So you're right on the – both are amazing. For me, it's about the journey. So where some people may be like, it's going to be easier for the person that comes in and tells you X, Y, and Z – I'm going to tell you, you're the, what's the word, the expert on yourself. So when you come in and can tell me, this is what I'm noticing about me, this is where I need to start, then we have great footing because I'm starting with where you are versus us having to learn. It's like, okay, well, now that you know that, the next step is, you know, how can I assist you or what do we do about those things? If you notice that you have sweaty palms or your hands get really tight when your anxiety is coming on, my question for you then would be, in what environments are you noticing that? Can we help identify your triggers? Whereas with somebody who's like, look, I don't know what's happening. We just need to work through it. It's a beautiful journey, too, because I'm getting to see you and help you understand yourself. So I'm seeing those aha moments for you. I'm I'm seeing, you know, as we talk about things in session, you go out into the world and you come back and be like, man, guess what? You won't believe what I did. And me being like, what? And then you telling me I went through the day and all these things happened. And then here's what I noticed happened throughout the day that told me, for instance, maybe I realized traffic is bad for me. Like I got to the red light and I felt like I just needed to cry. My, my chest was tight. I didn't know what was going on, but I also realized there were a lot of horns honking. I felt like everybody was way too close to me. Like my lane wasn't big enough. It's like, okay, well, now that we know that, let's talk about how to work through that. So easy is not always easy. Just because you are saying, this is what I know about me sometimes too, it's if those are maladaptive coping mechanisms that you're telling me about. And I got to tell you, we got to unlearn those to learn something new. You may be somebody be like, nah, because I did that my whole life versus somebody that's like, oh, okay, because you're just not understanding what it is. And so it, mm-hmm. it seems to flow more for you versus somebody who's like, I'm telling you who I am. Your job was just supposed to be able to tell me, like, how do I stop X, Y, and Z? So when I tell you, I'm telling you, we got to, like, rework some of the things you do that may be harder for you to comprehend or to be able to accept. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, um, going along the lines of like your clients and things like that, do you like, do you prefer to have people, you know, or is it more, that's probably more of like conflict of interest. It's like someone, you know, and we can't do dual relationships. So if I know you, I'm going to tell you about people I know in the community that can help you. Um, Right now with telehealth, sometimes it's really amazing to be able to find people who may not be even in the same state as you to work with, um, because a lot of social workers and individuals of that nature are are licensed in multiple states. As a marriage and family therapist, there's something in the works where we're working to hopefully be able to be licensed in multiple states. But even on a personal story, I'm a therapist with a therapist, and my therapist is not even in the state of Tennessee, because I do a lot of work with therapists here. I do a lot of work with influencers with podcasters and it's like okay these are people who i would love to be able to work with in the therapy space not necessarily saying one i'm advocate of everybody having therapy but also realizing like oh but i got to cut that off early because sometimes you end up with clients where you're like dang if that wasn't my client we probably would have been really amazing friends but that's my client so that can't happen (laughs) you know or um and same just if your friends are having issues or things and you're like dang i could really help them you do your job as a friend, but when it comes to the professional help side, you refer them to somebody else. Gotcha, gotcha. And um, 
kind of want to roll that into like our command our community um mm-hmm. you know in black community like mental health has had its transformation if that's the lack of a better term um from really like uh we know what that is but we don't talk about it to yeah. just pray or way or just drink some ginger ale and lay down kind of thing to like actually like experiencing it and doing something about it and being a resource or advocate. Um, and just, I guess my question is, is um, when was you feel like that was the moment mental health started to become more normalized in the community? What, like, is it just like our generation of millennials or even Gen Z being like, this is wrong. This doesn't feel right. Let me figure out why. Or is it just kind of just what trends do? They just it's just like the natural ebb and flow of things. I think generations or the generational patterns definitely has something to do with it. A lot of us were like, we're not going to continue what we saw our parents do, or our grandparents do. We want to talk about our emotions. We want to get stuff off our chest because we know it helps. We also understand that sometimes just talking to the wrong people can also, you know, add into the stress and pressure that you're feeling because you're telling people who are telling you things that don't line up with what you feel is right. You're like, hold up, you're telling me to go lay down or you're telling me to pray and I'm telling you I am praying. So then it gets into that, um, are you making me question my values because the answers you're giving me, I'm doing them and they're not working. And it could be, it's not that what I'm doing isn't working. It's just, I need some additional pieces along with that. the second part of that too is I feel that with our generations, we've seen so much and we knew we, we had to do something um, from the racism that we saw right. you know, on such high levels with a global um, pandemic or panorama um, and all this different variants, Omaria, you know, all, all these things. We right. hate people. We only know we hate people. <laughs> and then, <laughs> We're having to learn how to navigate the world in ways that the generations before us didn't, even down to how we are impacted by debt from school and other things. Um, unfortunately, we are seeing higher rates of suicide among our younger our younger generation. And so we know that we have to do something that's going to create a larger impact in terms of telling people there's a better way. And some of that comes from also wanting to learn how do I be able to help someone understand that the things that they feel didn't start with them. So letting them know they're not alone. But then also how do I help them navigate through generational things? Like, so what are the things that you're carrying that weren't even yours to carry? Like you carry that because you saw your mom and dad go through it and you're afraid that's what you're going to get in a relationship, not realizing that literally you have the power to decide that's not what you want and don't do it. But these are things that sometimes you can get from talking with friends. And then a lot of times your friends are only going to be able to take you so far because they're going to tell you things and you're going to start to question that. So you got to be able to talk with someone who's a a mutual third party who's going to be there to support you, be able to tell you yay and nay. But you also know that they're not giving you that answer because of any investment they have in you just because of the investment they have in your growth. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, I. I, I love that. And then just kind of like that investing part and just investing in your growth in yourself. Um, how do we continue to invest in ourselves and in our community when it comes to our mental health? Like what are some things we can do as a member in our community, whether it's noticing early signs or um, somewhat being an advocate yourself until you can get that person into therapy and convince them to go like what are some tips people can take from this podcast and kind of implement into their lives i guess i don't want to say temporary fix but like i guess as a guide towards therapy if a person's like no i'm not going to therapy what It starts at home. So before you begin to look at your neighbors and look at your community, you have to see yourself as a community. So what are you doing to care for the community that is you? Um, Are you seeking mental health services? Are you talking to individuals? Are you doing work to understand who you are and how you came to be the person that you are? Um, Because as you start to talk to other people, it's, it's that practice as you preach. You can only take someone as far as you've been so to speak. Um, Not only that, how can you tell someone not to be afraid of something that you're afraid of? 
So how can I end the stigma around mental health if mental health still has a stigma within my own household? I'm telling you, yeah, you can see a therapist. It's not, you know, just something rich people do. It's not just something that white people do. Uh, it's not going to mean that you're crazy or you're going to need medication. But yet that's what I believe because that's the life I'm living. Because you're looking at me then like, you hypocrite. Or you doing all this talking, but that's not what you do. So why am I going to listen to that? So definitely it starts at home. Also, as you are doing the work for yourself, as you're sitting with a therapist, as you're, you know, learning what it is that your body needs to become healthy, as you're um, interacting with the world in a different way, that impacts other people just by them seeing what you do and will cause them to ask you questions. It also gives you more knowledge and more of a toolkit when you're talking to other people to have something to talk about, because not only do you have what you're hearing, but you have what you're experiencing. Um, and another kind of example of that is uh, for me, it's mental health. It's mental health and my faith. And I can't tell people about my faith or intertwine the two if I haven't experienced it for myself. And so the same thing goes there. Or even going to the gym. You can't tell me to live a healthy lifestyle. You know, I need to eat more greens, make sure I'm eating a colorful diet. And that's how I, you know, end the you know generational pattern of having diabetes. If you out here cooking greens with the ham hocks, eating chitlins, and, you know, fried chicken, and every time I'm over your house is what I have, because you're telling me something, but you're feeding me something different. Mm, so that's a bar. We, we gotta we gotta start there um learn who we are start getting that help for ourselves and it spreads because as you're learning for yourself you're learning those signs to see other people as you're learning for yourself someone's talking with you with the love the compassion and the empathy that you will need to talk to someone else with as you're learning for yourself you're being introduced to other people in the community who are also doing the work so therefore you know you're not the only one wanting to create change and you don't have to do it alone Gotcha. Okay. No, that's awesome. And then um, I was watching Mind, Mind of a Man podcast, and um, I kind of want to get into what mental health looks like when it comes to genders. Um, okay. I think it's very interesting on that. You said men can have mood disorders, um, but like that's something you know but you still kind of like, oh yeah, that they do. Like, is that like lack? Is that level of ignorance due to just us as a society creating that male ego and, um, or just a general lack of resource for for men when it comes to mental health, or is it a level of all of that altogether? So I want to put something into perspective first, and then kind of speak on that so on the mind of a man podcast that specific statement was around postpartum mood disorders so it was talking about when um you and your partner decide that you guys are going to create or enlarge your family so we learn a lot that yes women's bodies go through changes and their hormones are going through changes and it's causing um Essentially, they're getting to know themselves again, and you're having to get to know them again, but it creates a moment of true vulnerability in which support is needed. And so I was talking about that postpartum period, which we don't have enough time on this show, but that, that's the whole thing. And also, guys, on my social media, that is definitely an area. Like, I talk about postpartum mood disorders, but we haven't, we don't talk enough about men needing support in that space and the changes they go through because their bodies may not be going through the same change as their partners who just birthed this child, but they're no longer getting the same amount of sleep. They may be finding themselves angry, frustrated, and moody because they're noticing that they have triggers now that they didn't know before. If their partner was the only one cooking and different things for the household, their diet is now changing because they don't have access to what was being prepared for them before. So they may be eating differently. So seeing how that impacts the mood, which goes back to what I said just a few seconds ago on here about your, your diet and making sure that you're getting what your body needs in terms of nutrients, because those things do impact your hormones and your mood. Um, but to take what you said and make it into a larger context for this podcast, men and women, as far as gender goes, we all can have bipolar. We all can be schizophrenic. Like the things that we hear about in terms of mental health disorders apply to both sexes how they manifest or the way in which they appear 
are different. And I feel like that goes back into what I was saying about generations are saying we want to be able to show our emotions. Stereotypically, um, men in the African-American community have not been able to show their emotions. Like they were told, be strong. Don't cry, little boy. Um, you know, your job is to provide for the family. You go out and work. When you come home, food will be prepared and placed on the table. Um, if I may be so brask, <laughs> um, you give the sperm, she take care of everything else. Like, you know, you, you it's your job in making a baby. When she becomes pregnant and when she give birth, you don't really have a role. Like, your job ain't in bonding with the baby. You still bring it home food to put on the table. And part of that mental health journey in our community is learning to not only speak about our emotions, but also know that you have a bigger role in the community as a whole. Your job is not just to help us populate the community. Your job is to help us care and make sure the community is thriving. So part of that is not only showing your emotions, but showing the other men in your life how to show their emotions, keeping the other men in your life, you know, held accountable. So if they have anger management issues, are, are we creating classes that are led by men to help other men know how to handle their emotions? Uh, if they're, you know, saying they have this really stark view of women, who are the men in the community that are creating classes or just having man cave moments or podcasts such as this one that say, hey, we got to bring that to the table. We got to talk about how we're going to change that. Where did you understand or learn that view of women from? Let me tell you about what's toxic about it and what's wrong. And then let me show you how we not only change how you view women, but how women view you. Because it is a two-way table. And if you're putting out negative, you're going to get back negative. Why should women, you know, have platforms and talk about uplifting the man and being such a positive role model to the man if what he does is disrespect her and treat her like trash? So I think that right. that comes into play about, like, our communities, how we talk about the differences in gender, but how do they need to play together to create a healthier community? Um, and then the last thing I'll say on that, too, is, it is a difference in how it manifests. And then yet we need more, not only more conversations to talk about men and their mental health, but also we need more support of men joining these platforms who are becoming therapists, who are, you know, becoming, uh, who are fathers who are willing to talk about their journey through postpartum, uh, who are husbands who are willing to talk about their journey going from dating to courting to engage, you know, engage, to marry. The more men who speak up and are able to talk about it, the more other men are going to hear it. Because as women, we can also talk about those things and say how much we need it. But if what you're hearing is us say we need, but you're constantly hearing another narrative to say, yeah, they saying they need all that, but this is your role and this is what you're supposed to play. And if you do something different, we will disown you. Then we're fighting against each other and we don't need to fight. Um, and I think how I would right. love to end that is by saying to, um, and this, this kind of goes into like a structural view of what our community needs. We need to be able to support individuals in our communities as they want to be better. So we need areas for them to find scholarships. We need, you know, to be able to funnel money and ideas and other things into incubators that are teaching people how to own businesses, how to, you know, go at the different structures. And also celebrate people in the community when they do great things. And we're, we celebrate so much, and you see it a lot on Instagram and other things, about people who are in fields such as medicine, like, oh, the first black doctor, or oh, you know, when you find your whole nursing squad is black. But it's other fields out there that are just like that. When you find out your therapist is black, you be like, oh, snap, let me put my bonnet on. Girl, let me, let me get comfortable and come back if you don't mind so I can really tell you about how I'm feeling, but also know that I'm in a safe space because I'm with somebody who looks like me and understand where I came from, that I can put my bonnet on. I can have on my house shoes. I can have on my robe. And she don't take that as me being lazy. She don't take that as me not having respect for her, but she understands this may be the only time I get to actually de-stress and be myself. And for a man, for me to be like, hey, I'm going to put this do-rag on, or actually the first couple of minutes may be you recapping what homework was, because I just need a moment where I don't talk for a second, because I've been out here, you know, 
having to be a strong black man and put on this face of like not being angry and other things so people don't perceive me to be aggressive. And I need to come in here while I'm in front of this black woman or this black man and be able to let that guard down. And it's going to take me a second, but I need you to be patient while I do so. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I want to keep going into kind of like that thought process. You mentioned like dating and stuff like that. You're on social media. So you see, you see the bickering. Yeah. And things like that. And me and Ashley talk about it all the time is, like why why is that existing and my best thought process is it's a level of account accountability that each group is not having for their own group yeah a lot of the times it's just um a man will say his experience dating a woman got you know you have men that agree maybe even disagree but the first thing you see is just like instead of like a listening ear of like oh okay like how can we be better it's just like oh well niggas do this <laughs> and then it goes back well they just do this and then it's just like you're Thank just you like rocket sock'em robots just trying to like knock each other out and just put person each either group more wrong than the other when Arguably, we could be just as wrong. It's like, how do we kind of like have those conversations where it's not like a, oh, I'm going to try to blame you or out problem you or out like, how do you, how do we have that kind of conversation amongst ourselves as it doesn't even matter race, like men, women, um, anybody like that? Like, how do we have that health, healthy conversation? Like, when I express my concerns as a man dating a woman, I don't date men, so I don't have that experience. And like women that are speaking, like you probably don't date women, so that's not your experience. But I don't care about that because you hurt my feelings. Yes, and you hurt my ego. Like, how do we get past hurt feelings in that moment? And be like, oh, I know she's not talking about me, but and. I think we have to get to the point where we're having conversations about what do we need as like what are the basic needs we need as, as humans. I'm not saying that it's saying, oh, okay, well, I need to be easy to please. What I'm saying is I think we need to be able to come to the table, um, especially when you have mixed friends. Like I have guy friends and girlfriends. So being able to come to the table and us have conversations where we're holding each other accountable, no matter the sex. Hey dog, that was wrong and you know it. I'm sorry. Like and, and let's, let's break out why I was wrong. I don't care if you were black, yellow, green, orange, a male, female, non-binary, however you are labeled on the spectrum or identified, cheating is wrong. Unless y'all have decided in your relationship that y'all are open or y'all in a polygamous relationship, which cheating then is a little more, it still happens, but it's a little more tricky or nuanced. Like there's, yeah, there are so many ways to define relationships and people. We got to get to the point where we taking all that out and we're defining as humans. What do we need and what do we know is right or wrong? And then we add from there the context of culture. Then we add from there the context of, you know, race and who we are, because as we build in that way, we're able to remember, oh, OK, now hold up. This is something that I say we do in my community all the time. But when I look back at what I need as a person, is this something that I have to be able to say, okay, I need, that's one of those things that as a culture, we've done that for so long, but it may be hurting us. So let's put that on the back burner. Because when you look at it from the lens of this is what men do, this is what women do, or this is what people in my culture do, oftentimes that's what made the argument so hard because you don't feel like you're fighting what's right for you. You feel like you're literally having to tell the multitude of people that something they do is wrong. So you feel like you're about to have to fight so many people by yourself. When whereas you look at it the other way, you're saying, oh, okay, yes, I may still be talking to the multitude, but I get to bring it to context. You know, what have we been doing that may have been a means of survival? And we don't have to survive like that anymore because we're trying to thrive. Mom right. and daddy may have had a traditional household, but maybe for me and mine, we need to figure out what works for us. And I'm not telling you that, you know, 
you going against what your daddy taught you or you going against what your mama taught you or that somebody else in your life isn't good enough. I'm saying, how are we going to make this work for us? Um, and the same goes on that bigger platform of, you know, well, this is how men treat women and this is what they bring to the table. If more of those conversations are happening behind the scenes, when we get together on larger platforms and we're having conversations, it's a little bit more um, attainable to ask that we hear each other and seek understanding and talk from there and it not always turn into bickering. I'm going to use something that may be a little simplistic in this conversation, but even the conversation around the little boy with the kitchen set. I like set, simple. <laughs> with the, the little boy with the kitchen set. So if we take if we take that conversation to what are basic needs, we need to learn life skills. We need to know how to provide for ourselves. Now, if I take that into context, then of what we're being taught as a woman, when I find a partner, I hope he know how to cook. I hope he was cooking before he met me. And he does not thinking like if she don't cook a meal or if she don't do something, then we got a whole argument because he quote unquote can't provide for himself. So if I look at it in that context, that kid, there's no problem with that kitchen set. Because that kitchen set has no gender tied to it. That kitchen set is tied to a life skill that we all need to survive. And if he's really right. good at it, because I've introduced it into his life at a young age, he might be one of these top chefs around here. We may have a black person who's leading Hill's Kitchen and making them top dollars. Yes, because chefs get coins, y'all. Like, I don't think y'all realize that. Like, chefs get money. <laughs> like, they ain't, they ain't broke. I think you'd be seeing people like in chefs at McDonald's, but like go to Urban Grub on 12 South in Nashville. Yeah. And see somebody back there, like they're getting money. They basically mm -hmm. run that restaurant. They everybody else is just a figurehead. Like they they make their restaurant go where it goes. Like if you don't have a good chef, your restaurant's gonna go straight into the dirt before you even get off the ground. And they're creative. And then, you never know what they come up with. Like you got me in the kitchen on a fake kitchen, but that may inspire me to want to get in the kitchen, actual kitchen with you. And then I'm playing with, right. you know, recipes and stuff from a young age. And I might be, you know, the next weaning, I'll say 12, you might be the next five-year-old with your own barbecue sauce because you started playing in your little play kitchen with all them ingredients. It was like, I wonder how this really tastes in real life. And you had parents who were open enough to say, well, come on in the kitchen then and let's put those real you know, the real version of whatever it is you just put in your pot in a pot and see how it tastes. Yeah. I saw that argument on Twitter. It's very simplistic, but it's also so very complex because you do have people on the same end. It's like, I need my man to cook, but he got a kitchen set. That's gay. Like what? You want a guy to cook, but you don't want. How, he, how is he going to be open to even kitchen. knowing that he can be in the kitchen? Hmm. Like I'm just trying. Like the math doesn't math like at all. Like because it, sometimes people will say that in the same breath, and I think that's like why I hate social media sometimes for like my own mental health. But it's just like or his oh like here's another one: men who love fashion or you know say they love love or want to be married, and people who give them side eyes, and it's like. You want a man that's going to be compassionate, who loves you, who wants to love you. And if he's not even open to love, how he going to do that? Right. You want to be able to go out on dates and people not say your man's a bum because you want to make sure he know how to dress. But you don't want to always have to be the one to dress him. How he going to do that if he don't know nothing about fashion? Like, you, you see, what I'm saying? Like, it's like we take everything to the extreme. And I think so much of it is because of how we grew up. And if we held our community more accountable, like if not only women talking to women, but women actually having open conversation with men and being willing to listen and men doing the same thing. So much of this could literally come out of actually, you know what? I have a guy friend and here's what I'm learning from him. Him saying, actually, I have a woman who's a friend, no sex involved, like really a right. friend. And these are the things I'm Strictly learning from platonic. her. Yes. These are the things I'm learning from her. And we all end up learning, you know, from those relationships. Because that's the other thing I think that ties into that. So much of this, like, back and forth comes in effect. We don't have healthy relationships with the opposite sex that aren't involving other things that we may think we want and need. And when those needs aren't being met, they're clouding our view of how we see the person and the things they may be telling us. They may actually be there to help us. Right. No, that's very that's very interesting you said that. Because um, I wasn't even thinking a conversation would go that way. But, like, 
I like, no, I, I love it, but um, just talking about like having those healthy relationships of like um, viewing someone as a person. Cause I think it goes both ways. Like we could just look as women. It's more obvious for men to look and mm. more acceptable and understood in so- society that men look at women the same way, but women can look at men the same way and you can, have that disconnect like how do we build those healthy relationships um is it with working at home or being having some or going to therapy or is it like a combination of that and just being able to build that healthy relationship it's once again a combination um and y'all i promise i'm not just like trying to sell y'all therapy because i'm a therapist um i'm coming from personal experiences of what worked and then also the understanding of Somebody has to be the one to break the mold. Like, we know families move in a way kind of together. Y'all, I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast got that one family member you can think. They think differently than a family and up to a certain point. Or you may even still either slick judge them or be you, like, yeah. It may be you. Yeah, like, they're a little weird. But, like, I don't even, like, they, you know, this is what I family done for years. Like, they the one I hear, you know, like, who moves like that? They moving like that because they're trying to be healthy and they may realize that the family's way of doing things and thinking about things ain't the only way. And so much of it, when we talk about at home from either the scenarios of what happens behind closed doors, stays behind closed doors to even, we talk a lot about in a job, you don't talk about, you don't talk about your pay, you don't talk about politics or religion. And in so many ways, that same mindset come like goes into the family. If you think differently about money, religion, and politics, you don't bring it to your family. Yes. So it's like, how am I telling us that we need to be moving differently in the world if the family in which you even are a part of, you still have the same laws there? So it's like, you need that therapy piece to be able to talk to somebody, once again, that's non-biased, to be able to understand who are you outside of what society and your family is telling you you must be. What's the healthy version of you? And then once you figure that out, you can come back and say, all right, this time we have a conversation. Hey, unk or auntie, yeah, that, that, what, that's wrong. Or there is another way to be able to reach the next generation and still share that message. Hear me out. Um, I don't know if y'all seen that. Uh, it's a reel of the therapist found out on Christmas that her client didn't get presents and they got a whooping because she was telling them to uh, have boundaries and they had boundaries with their parents and was like, that's wrong. I ain't saying that's how we moving about this because we are culturally competent out here and we right. respect elders. <laughs> There's ways to deliver messages. Uh, but what I am saying is when you know better, you do better or you try to do better. And by try to do better for some people, that means my boundary is I have to set myself apart from you all for a while until I know how to come back and tell you in a way in which you can receive that is also respectful. Um, that this cannot continue. And that same thing goes for friendships and being in community with the opposite sex. Sometimes you have to find a like step away so that you can come back and say, hey, we can't continue to do this. Because we all know people that are saying, me and y'all got to stop this and women, y'all got to stop this. But sometimes the delivery is off. So it's like, have they done the work to know how to mm-hmm. actually deliver the message so that people can hear what it is that they're actually trying to say? Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um, yes, I definitely agree with that. Hmm. Who's who good in that shirt? Where you get it from? Threadsbydress.com. Get you some real handmade swag with some Ghanaian pride. Tell me your boy sent you.